Thanks for listening to the Lunch and Learn with Dr. Barry, here to help educate, motivate, and put you on the right path to take control of your health through weekly discussions on topics in the medical field, public health arena, and in your community. And now your host, Dr. Barry. Welcome to another episode of the Lunch and Learn with Dr. Barry. I'm your host, Dr. Barry Perry, your favorite board-certified internist, CEO and founder of PR Medical Consulting, helping you empower yourself with better health with the number one podcast for patient advocacy, affirmation, and education. This week, we bring you a special guest. She's been on the show, I think, like four or five times. I've lost count, but it doesn't matter because she is amazing every time she steps on the platform. Dr. Sylvia Consimboli, we're going to be talking about weight loss myths and the conversation was getting so good i had to break it up into two parts i'm sorry y'all like i wanted to, i wanted to touch on weight loss medications that i've been hearing about but we were getting so good in just the aspect of weight loss myths and where they originated from that i told her you know what that's too much for the lunch learn community in one swoop let's bring it to another part two right so this is actually part one of weight loss myths with dr sylvia make sure to subscribe to the podcast Leave us a five-star review and tell a friend, tell five friends to catch this part and make sure to stay tuned for when part two is dropping. Now, let me tell you something. I don't, you know, a lot of times they say you're not supposed to tell people who are the favorites, right? If you got kids, you're not supposed to have a favorite kid, right? If you're a host like myself, you're not supposed to have a favorite guest. But let me tell you, this is my favorite guest here. Outside of my wife, who's been on the show probably just as much. This is this is my favorite guest here. This is one where every time I talk to her, we end up talking so much more outside of it that it just like it, the conversation just keeps on going. And whenever I have any thought, any conversation, whenever someone DMs me, sends me a message, hey, what about this medication? Hey, I'm losing weight. I'm having trouble losing weight. Like, why do I want to lose the weight? Why, why am I gaining all this weight? The only person I can think about is the de facto expert in my world, which is Dr. Sylvia. <laughs> Dr. Sylvia, again, thank you for joining uh, Medicine Mondays as well as the Lunch Learning community. You know, you're a fan favorite here. I appreciate you for taking the time out. Thank you, Dr. Barry. You know, the respect is mutual. The gratitude is mutual. And I feel the same about you. You are a pioneer in bringing this information to the people in ways that we can really understand. So anytime I can be here, thank you. And thank you just for just for all the support. Yes, brother, on this journey. And um, yes, yeah, so I'm we, honored and grateful to be we, here. We've been, it's been, it's, how long are we going on now? It's, um, at least more than five years. Like, yeah, that's what I was saying. It's, been, it's, it's definitely been pre, this is a pre-pandemic, y'all. This isn't oh, a yeah. pre-pandemic. This 2017. Is, we've been I, here. Yeah, we met at the Momentum in Medicine Conference 2017. And that's when I was still on working in primary care. Indeed, um, I had just board certified in um, obesity medicine and was pre- beginning that transition from traditional internal medicine to practicing obesity medicine. And now I've evolved even more and I'm doing integrative obesity medicine and DI consulting, um, um, building culturally sensitive obesity programming. So, and I've become a best-selling author. So, so many things have just changed, launched my own digital health company. So a lot of things have really changed um, since we began, but you were with me from the conception of like really pursuing, bringing relevance, integrative 
individualized obesity care to people and to organizations. So I thank you for that. No, I appreciate it. I, I remember I probably asked a silly question like, oh, what are you going to do with that obesity certification? Like, I probably, you know, <laughs> I probably, oh, what, what, what do you do with that? And fast forward and just seeing the maturation, I'm like, okay, that was, that was a dumb question, Barry. Like, <laughs> no, no dumb question because I think like to our point and what we're going to get into today is people still ask me that like, oh, obesity medicine, that's interesting. And I mean, to the, one of the key things I just got elected to the um, obesity, Me- obesity medicine association board of trustees. Uh, congratulations. Thank congratulations. you. I, I'm pr- proud to be on it as the only black woman on the board. That's the only black person on the board for a disease that so disproportionately affects black people. And I mean, yes, all Americans, but especially our community. So I'm really excited to be representing them on the largest clinical organization of obesity leaders. Um, so yeah, but, but you asked that question, but we're still not even recognized by the American Board of Medical Specialties. So mm. BC is technically not even recognized by that. And so a lot of people really don't know. It's like, oh, it's like a hobby, right? But it can't be a hobby when this disease is impacting so many people, two thirds of American, one third of American technically with obesity, but two thirds overweight or obesity are on the way to that. So we have to really see how serious it is. So I'm always honored to have that conversation and be here with you and have that platform. So for those who may, because we, we've, especially since I think the last time we've gone on, you know, we've both kind of grown. So mm-hmm. those who may have like, you know what, I, I didn't know about this Dr. Sylvia. Who is Dr. Sylvia? Just so people can kind of get an idea of why I am so enamored uh, with this amazing person across. And a guy that if you can't, if you can't tell, if you can't tell, like we, we are, <laughs> it's all about embrace you. Like if you can't tell, best-selling author, Right. Like it's this is this is what it's about. It's like like tell people what, who who is Dr. Sylvia and why why is Dr. PSO in every <laughs> thank you. And guess what? The book is actually healthmind.com's best overall weight loss book of 2022 and livestrong.com's best body positive yeah, um, mm. weight loss book too. So like I, I'm really grateful for the reception because I for the um because I may, I wrote this while I was working on the COVID-19 front lines because I wanted everyone to be empowered with the tools they needed to make educated, informed, individualized decisions about your health and your wellness. So thank you so much for supporting that. All right. So who is Dr. Sylvia? This is such a philosophical question. <laughs> Embrace you. You know, because when as doctors, when we answer this, we always start with, well, I'm a double board certified integrative obesity specialist, wellness coach, and also best-selling author and a, a international speaker and um, philanthropist, right? This is how we start. But mm-hmm. really at the core of who I am It really is. I'm a child of God. And I believe that every person is made individually and uniquely. And when we try to put people into boxes, bad things happen. We have to allow for room for people to be treated individually in in medicine that would translate into integrative medicine 
or precision-based medicine. And so I like to think of myself as an integrated um, precision-based obesity specialist. And I particularly love talking about emotional wellness and emotional health and not just what we eat or what we don't do, but why we don't do it. And so I really help people get to that core root so that they can develop the consistent habits and have the right tools to help them live lighter in their body, mind, and spirit for the rest of their life. And so that's that's like the nutshell of this big creative yes. scientist, nerd, mom, doctor, runner, like that I am, like foodie, like all of it. But that's the nutshell of it. So I know, you know, obviously from the title standpoint, right, we're going to be talking about some kind of weight loss especially associated with medications, but mm-hmm. we kind of talked earlier. I think, a, I think a lot of times that foundational piece of how we even get to the point where we're having weight loss myths and weight loss medications is so important that I'd kind of like to start there on just, just the overall approach, especially from someone who is not only in the field, but of the field. Uh, the people who can kind of visually see the people who you are taking care of and, and, and obviously can the, the expert, uh, you know, as, you know, my favorite expert. Right. Like I, I want to kind of start there before we kind of transition to kind of maybe like nitty gritty more specifics. Sure. And I, I love that you asked that question, Dr. Barry, because so often you know, when we're having the conversation about obesity medications, um, it all starts about, okay, what is the mechanism of action? What were the results of the RCT? Um, all of those kind of questions. But part of why these medications are so underutilized and so underused And to the tune of when we have looked at certain studies, less than 20% of people who qualify for obesity medication is actually getting them. And and it's even lower. That's, wow. Okay, I didn't realize it was was that bad. And, And even lower in our populations that need it the most, like people that look like you and me, where we have 57% of Black women who technically, under BMI standards, and we could have a whole talk, which we have about the (laughs) BMI, because that's part of the issue, right? But but by BMI standard, Black women, that qualifies is 57%. So, you know, you have almost two-thirds of Black women who are, have obesity, um, by those standards. And then for Black men, it's about 40%. So, and, and even that may be low because of when you make adjustments for that. So I think that, and those people are not getting the medications that they need. Mm. And that's not just because of bias, racial bias, weight bias, but it's also because of access to care. And a lot of these medications are not covered, right? So I know some of the docs that are listening like, oh yeah, this is well and good, but my patients can afford it. They can't get these medications. And so that's some of the things that are the barriers to kind of us actually getting the care that um, people need. So I think it's important for us to like start with just kind of talking about some of the myths and everything because the people that need it are not getting it. Wow. Sorry to break your concentration. I know you're probably knee deep into today's episode, but do not forget, check out our Lunch and Learn community store, shop.drberrypierre.com. Remember to use the code EMPOWER10 and make sure you are leaving us a five-star review, especially on Apple Podcasts. 
and Spotify. Thank you. Now back to your regularly scheduled podcast. I mean, and I think those, especially for those who, who watch this or listen to that, I think those numbers are actually pretty staggering to think that it's, and clearly you have medications that we know have worked, especially when you go down to nitty gritty looking at the numbers, but like, if it's not getting to the people, like, like, what does it matter? Yeah, I think a bit, one of the biggest misconceptions, and I grew up with it, we are part of that eat less, move more movement, mm. right? Calories in versus calories out. Weight concerns are a lifestyle choice. That person's lazy. That person's not doing enough. They're not addressing. I'm going to go there. I see your face, but we have to talk about it from a real perspective yes. because a lot of times I think that doctors and healthcare clinicians, we like to pretend that we're immune from these biases, but over and over, and and all of us, not even like you, a lot of times it's so easy to look at the racial biases, but weight bias is actually the most common form of discrimination. And weight bias, meaning that you have negative stereotypes or beliefs about someone based on their weight, may not necessarily be them having obesity, but it could even them being small, like just, just not seeing, um, seeing the data for what it is. So I think we have to talk about and call out those lies because if if we don't, then we will never be able to push past it and make sure that people get the tools they want. Like you said, we're under treating, but part of it is the belief, well, I just need to make you run more. I need to, you need to eat less. So because obesity was just recognized as a medical disease. Do you know what year, Dr. Barry? You probably know from my previous talks. Yeah, yeah. Oh, us. yeah let me tell you, 2013. Wow. I graduated med school in 2010. And so that means that we didn't even learn the science of it. And how this hit home for me is because I personally went on my own weight loss journey. So I was, you know, your traditional overachiever, perfectionist, like went straight through college, med school, residency, chief year, and try to do everything to please everybody, get everything right, first generation American. And how I cope with that is I ate <laughs> and I ate a lot of sugar, especially on those long call nights and everything like that. And fortunately, I had the metabolism to kind of keep up with this. But when I had that baby, like the pregnancy, which is a major hormonal shift and weight gain trigger, obesity trigger for a lot of women, I could no longer lose the weight. I actually have preeclampsia. So I gained a lot of water weight. I gained 60 pounds, but 40 pounds of that I held on to when I went back to work um, after mm. nine weeks, nine short weeks of maternity leave. And I held on it for about two years. So that was my wake up call that, hey, this calories in, calories out approach doesn't really work. It really doesn't. And, and that's when I was doing my own personal research and learned that there was a whole field of obesity medicine out there and learn the new science about obesity that is so much more than calories in versus calories out is energy in versus energy out. And there's a lot of hormonal mechanisms. There's a beautiful study. Like I, I still look at the graph. Look, I'm such a nerd. I like, Ooh, intellectually <laughs> massage it. Ooh, it's so yes. good. Like it, it's from um, 2012 and it showed the neuroendocrine pathways of obesity and like what gets disrupted. So a lot of the things that we are 
manipulating in the medication. So the GLP-1s, right? That's where it talked about GLP-1. It talked about leptin and grenolin and all these insulin, all these hormones that get disrupted in the disease state of obesity. That was like the wake up call for me that there was so much more than just, okay, you're not trying hard enough. You're not eating what you're supposed to, but there's so much more. And all of us is affected a little bit differently by these disruptions in the pathway. Now that the, the bias, especially from a physician standpoint, is that something that is typically ingrained within our training or is this from a societal standpoint, that obviously we're we're part of society. We we watch TV, we we watch the music videos, we listen, we hear everything. Is that is that like a combination of the two? How how much how much of a, a factor of just like our training played into some of our biases that occur when we see uh, people who are either overweight or obese or even on on the other, other spectrum? Sure. So um, it's both. I will say, I say, if it's a multiple choice test, I say all of the above. I answer all of the above. (laughs) You know, because we come to medical school as humans, right? With our own Mm. biases, with everything. I do um, annually, I volunteer and help with the, with my alma mater, George Washington University. They had a clinician back to school, like, and we talk to the second year med students, they take the Harvard implicit, the weight implicit bias test, which I recommend it's free. I recommend any clinician take it. They take it to address their own biases. And, um, and then we talk through it and we share some of the data of it, but most of the doctors, we had, we carry the biases that we came in with, And then a lot of them are reinforced in training. I don't think anyone explicitly, yes, sometimes you still might hear comments made towards people with obesity. Like even using the term obese technically has been like when we talk about people-centered language and we've, since 2013, the move or 2013. 10, actually, the movement has been to say people have obesity, not people are obese because your weight doesn't define you, but you still see that term being used. So even the terminology, then you may see those like waiting rooms that are not designed for people who have larger bodies. You see the cutoffs with... you see the cutoffs for surgeries, the bias there, like for orthopedic surgeries, for different types of procedures, even fertility treatment. So, so many things. So I think this reinforces that notion that um, weight is bad or having obesity is bad. And if we're not careful, we can think people who are who have obesity are bad. And we need to really make that separation about judging people and, and thinking, uh, placing that judgment on them apart from to recognizing just like people have hypertension, people have diabetes, close cousin, you know, all these insulin um, resistant pathway, inflammation pathway related diseases that it, obesity itself is a medical condition and a disease that affects people, not that they're choosing to have obesity per se, right. because most of us, like, I like to joke, I have this friend, she like, she's been the same size as I met her, 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 our whole life. 
ball had kids, everything. She's been the same size, right? That girl, she can eat a bag of Cheetos and look like this. I eat a bag of Cheetos. I look like this. You know what I'm saying? Like <laughs> our metabolism, our, everything is, is different. And so you kids, and I know that I know how much work I have to do to maintain myself at a healthy, a happy, healthy weight. But for some people, there's not that much work. So I think being careful that we recognize that the foods, the environment, that our life stresses, the mental, it affects every body individual a little bit different. And that can trigger fat storage and having weight storage. And so I think that's where understanding the bias, the implicit bias, and then also marrying that with understanding the physiology and the science is really important because once you are clear on both of those things as a clinician, that empowers you to make evidence-based decisions instead of judgment-based decisions or feeling-based decisions. I like mm-hmm. feelings. I'm a feeling yes, person. Sir. But we need to first understand the science. And then, yes, there's that gestalt and all of that we use. But yeah. You know, it's so funny. Like as you were saying that, I I would because you know I'm in a hospital, so like mm-hmm. I've, I've never seen someone say 44 year old normal weight person with mm-hmm. like it's they always it's always a quantifier like oh this 44 obese person because now them being obese is something that I need now need to like have my senses heightened for like some danger is around mm-hmm. the corner because mm-hmm. of that. Like as you were saying, I'm like oh you know what. Mm-hmm. That happens a lot. That's and and it's interesting, and I, I love it because with your framework of mind, it because especially for a lot of you know again I'm obese, right? So a lot of people, right? This aspect of blame is, is uh, significant, where they feel like, oh, I am the one, right? Who is is the reason why like I'm obese. And when we say like, oh, you know, the calories in, calories out, that again kind of pushes that, you know, that emphasis of like, hey, you like, like I, I do, you know, taking less calories in it. And it kind of absolves us of any, I don't want to say responsibility, but it kind of says like, hey, like I told him what to do. I'm not sure why the weight hasn't melted off yet. Wow, that part, Dr. Barry, that part. I told her what to do is that. And, and it's a shame to blame. And I think also the pressures of being in a system that doesn't necessarily offer interdisciplinary or multiple disciplinary care, which has been shown what you need to really, really make a lasting impact on someone with obesity, right? So it's easy to just say, if you're the primary care doctor or primary care practitioner, that, okay, I have 15 minutes with this person and I've lived this. I was primary care, very high volume practice, 3,300 visits a year practice at a peak, like I lived it. You you (laughs) working, let's not, that's a whole nother story. Okay. So 3,300, I like, so, but I, so I've lived it though. And, um, and so you have like 15, 20 minutes, or if you're like me, you spend 30, 35 minutes, you're always behind. You have those RBU pressure, all of that to then address obesity, which is a complex disease. And then the host of like my toe hurts, I'm depressed, Mm -hmm. all the other things. And you can feel that that correlation with burnout and feeling stress and feeling pressure as a clinician can really also intervene where it's easier to just say, okay, Cal, I told them what to do. I gave them that handout. They didn't do it. It's their fault. 
right? Mm -hmm. So I think that top points also to how bias and things get perpetuated because when you're not in a system that's offering you tools to empower the um, patient on their journey, on their weight journey, it's much easier to just make them the scapegoat. And that's a real ugly truth and the ugly thing to say, and we don't want to talk about that. But I think it's important that, again, we have these tough awakenings or tough conversations, because then we can create solutions around it. And that's kind of been my own journey, too, as, you know, even transitioning from that high volume primary care um, clinician to, to now what I do, which is more individualized, integrative um, care, digital health care or telehealth-based care, because I wanted to be able to have that time and to have those conversations. But that being said, I still think that creating more tools, which is what you know we're working on developing for primary care, who's at the heart and the forefront is so important so that you can say, okay, I notice like a lot of times in primary care, like you said, we stop, or even hospitals, we stop the conversation as an obese male, but actually they're staging for obesity, stage one, stage two, Mm. criteria. So just like we stage um, kidney disease or we stage uh, diabetes, like, well, not diabetes, but we stage hypertension, like we should be able to stage, to present it properly. So instead, this is a 44-year-old male who has stage two obesity based on his BMI or class one obesity. And then then from there, making that informed, educated decision about, are they a candidate for medications or bariatric procedures, which is another thing as well. Because we know for a fact our lifestyle interventions really for most people are going to give you about two to 5% weight loss, two to 5% weight loss. And and I was going to ask you that because obviously Mm -hmm. before we even, you know, you know, you know, with with patients before they feel like they get to taking medications or talking about surgery, that's always taught to them first. Like, Oh, just change your life. Like Mm -hmm. change change what you're doing with your life. Mm -hmm. Like, like you fix that and then you'll be good to go. But like, so you're saying two to 5% is, mm-hmm. wow. Yeah. And <sighs> I mean, so so I'm going to share some slides with you too, Dr. Bear, because I want like, can I share them here or can we? Sure, can sure. I, yeah. We'll drop them in a link. Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I, I want to show you this because I think this is really um, important to help contextualize it. And so if you let me share my screen and I'll show you. Yeah, because just thinking about lifestyle changes are always the foundation of anything we do, right? But the medications are just a tool. They're just a tool to help people. And so I'll actually start here. This is how I explain it to my um, to my patients and my clients um, of it. So imagine yourself, and for the people who are listening, you can imagine with me, but imagine you're at a race. Well, we're kind of where it's, it's tennis time now, right? So yes, yes, yes. So let's let's do tennis. <laughs> so imagine, you know, your star tennis player comes up to play a match, and he is wheezing, like you hear. He's wheezing. He's audibly wheezing, very rancorous. He's huffing and puffing and tired. Like, which one of us, as a great clinician or physician, is going to be like? 
Get in there. Play that match. You can do it. You know, work a little bit harder. Stop your complaining. Stop being lazy. We'd never do that, right? We'd say, okay, here's the albuterol. Here's an app. Let's do the treatment. Let's reassess. And then we would have him play play the the match right if appropriate once once it and we know that that and is that a buterol giving him an unfair advantage is he cheating is that a performance enhancing medication mm -hmm. by him taking the albuterol if they mm -hmm. no it's not yeah. it's correcting it's saving it's, it's yeah. saving it's, it's correcting a, a, a inadequacy that's there Exactly. And his underlying physio physiology that actually, in some ways, places him at a disadvantage from other from the opponent who does not have that. And so that's the mindset that I take when I'm seeing someone with obesity or an obesity related medical condition, anything with insulin resistance, inflammation, everything. It's actually like they're starting the match wheezing. Right, mm. they're starting behind the starting line. Here, my little info, <laughs> my little cartoon I, I that I made. But no, they're starting, this. yeah, they're starting behind the starting line. And all our medications, all our bariatric procedures are doing are bringing them to the starting line. They're making, they're giving them a fair shot. They're giving them a fair match to play the the lifestyle changes in the game because their lifestyle changes are already starting behind the eight ball. If we're going to help them get to the finish line, which is to have their optimized, uh, optimal health, optimal metabolic health at their individualized, happy, healthy weight. So what we are doing when we give obesity medications and notice I did not say weight loss medications, because I think one of the biases that come in the treatment of obesity is thinking that it's only only for weight loss, which we tend to think mm. about weight loss more as something cosmetic, right? Somebody just want to do it because they want to look hot for the beach. They want to get into that, look good for that reunion. I just have a 20 year high school reunion. You want to be fly for Like that's what we tend to think about it. That's how we tend to think about it when we just call it weight loss medication. But when we call it obesity medication and the correct term is anti-obesity medication or AOM, I personally do not like AOM because I, I think already with the bias against obesity as a disease when we say anti people right. start like getting in their mind so i say obesity medications and treatments but so when we when we when we call it that recognizing that it's not just for the weight loss which is just maybe a short-term goal. Because a lot of times with my bariatric surgery patients in particular, anyone who's lost a significant amount of weight, like more than 20% of their total body weight, they may need like chronic treatment even after they're at their mm. healthy weight. They may need chronic treatment because everything in your body is trying to get you to come back to that higher weight. Like we were mm. made to be deep freezers of fat. Not not ovens. Right. <laughs> We're not ovens. That. We are. Deep I eaters. love that analogy. <laughs> I... <laughs> Store the fat, okay? And when you lose your fat, your body wants it back. It's gonna employ that adrenaline. It's gonna make you leptin resistant. It's gonna make you insulin resistant. All of those things to get your fat back. And mm. so when our we as doctors, we have the most powerful tools on the planet to help our patients. I want every listener that's listening, that's a physician, that's a clinician that has prescribing power. No, you hold the most powerful tool to help your patient, to get them to that fair shot on the starting line. This is amazing, especially especially for Lunch Learn listeners, like to, just the visual picture of starting a race, like a length 
a quarter of a track behind the, everyone else. And assuming that any lifestyle change is going to get you to that starting point, but like, uh, um, unless, right, unless you're like a supersonic speed, like it's not going to happen. So I, I just love that. I mean, that visual picture alone says, okay, all right. Like we've definitely been looking at that wrong, especially in regards to obesity and obese related medications and just treatment uh, in, in that, in that sphere. Yes. So, so thank you so much for saying that, Dr. Barry. And that's what I really want to get across. And, you know, I'm a nerd. I love the facts. I mean, even though I've been out of academics for many years now, I still read at least one journal article a day. I love it. And, and I would love to nerd out. We can go through the studies if we have time today. We'll, but I really just wanted us at your Lunch and Learn Committee, our Lunch and Learn Committee, yes. to like really be able to address those biases. Like I honestly encourage everybody take the implicit weight bias test because that's going to help you see, are there any blind areas that's keeping me from really being able to serve my patients, serve my population with the best tools available to them? I think that's the first step. Now, we need a lot of work to make sure that access to these medications is available to everyone. I've been, uh, for years, we've been doing the treat and reduce um, lobbying and really advocating for the Treat and Reduce Obesity Act to pass, which is um, an act that's right now in Congress where it would help m m Medicare would actually pay for mm. obesity um, medications or anti-obesity medications, if you will. And so, and we know once Medicare pays for them, everybody pays able to get coverage for all of them, because right now, most of our medications are not covered. And I know that's a big wow. barrier to a lot of people being, um, to people receiving the treatment. But I think even where, where we do have power, where we do have control as prescribers is even offering and even starting the conversation. And I know it's not all on us. There are biases to our, our patients have because they too feed into that whole calories in, calories out myth. I'm just lazy. I'm not trying hard enough. And so they might say, oh, I don't want a medicine. I don't need a medicine or those medicines are unsafe. And so we have to start the conversation early. And I think giving them visuals such as we just discussed with this. And then the other visual that I really like um, is this um, obesity treatment pyramid, which was pr um, proposed by Dr. Angela Fitch um, at our Obesity Medicine Association Conference in September, 2021. I like this because I'm a visual learner. Mm -hmm. So Dr. Barry, and, and this is what I talk about when you see that when we look at lifestyle modification, and again, these are generalizations, right? Because we all know the people, I mean, I lost 60 right. pounds like, through lifestyle modification and interventions, right? But we have to understand that everyone is different and that there's a whole system of factors that go in that's going to help people to be able to lose that amount of weight if we're just talking lifestyle modification. So, but in general, two to 5% is what's expected with lifestyle modification. When you add prescriptive nutritional interventions, so that's going to be um, your meal replacement programs, the ones that are very structured, your BLCBs, very low calorie diets, things like that, that's five to 10% of total body weight loss. Um, your pharmacology, which is the 
what we're talking about today, that's 10 to 20%. And some of the newer medications like Manjira or um, Terazepide, sorry, those are going to be, you can even get more than that. And then endoscopic tools, so that'd be like your balloon, the Abra, things like that. Those are going to be 10 to 20%. And then our granddaddy, you know, big dad, I don't know what oh, you yes. want to call it, big baller, <laughs> like is bariatric surgery. And that's 30 to 40% of um, total body weight loss. And this is looking at a, at a one year mark um, for this or 52 weeks. So I think that it's important to keep this in mind when you're, when you see that person who has a significant amount of weight to lose. Now we're talking about weight but it's not just about the weight. I always want to bring home that point. Like weight is a symptom of the underlying factors that are going into somebody's um, health. And I think this is another bias or blind sight for people as well, because when we're only focusing on the weight, people are like, but I love myself. I look good. And you know, I'm Embrace You MD. So yes. I'm all about that. I feel like self-love has to be the foundation of any positive change that you make in your body for too long. I grew up in diet culture since age of 15. I was calorie counting. I know the calories in any food. You just quiz me, Dr. Barry. <laughs> I bet I can tell you the calorie count. And so I so I get it. I've tried so many diets in my lifetime. So I get it. So I want to free people from that diet mindset. And I do think you should love yourself and whatever. So let us be clear though, that when as clinicians, as physicians, what we're talking about is the health impact, the health impact, your healthy weight. Like there is a certain threshold at which you're going to have excess fat mass that will put most people most people at risk for metabolic health diseases. There's mm. studies that look at metabolically healthy obesity and such. And, you know, I think that is debatable that there will, I think people are different, right? So there may be a small subsect of the population that thrives at a higher body weight. But I think that we need to be clear that when we're assessing people, we not just look at what their body, like what their total body weight is or what their BMI is, but their body composition. And do they have any obesity related conditions that will benefit from proper treatment? And and, so and that's why there. you focus on, you got me on my soapbox. Sure. No, no, I love it. And and I think that's what, and that's why when I hear you say, like, we're not talking about the weight loss, like the weight loss will be a byproduct, but like, no, it's because of all of these other ancillary you know, issues that we know that those who are obese have a higher risk of having. Now, again, if you're on the outlier, yes, outliers, we see you, we hear you, we got it, right? Like, we're like understanding that we're talking about a population and we don't have the ability to just look at one or two people um, who may be able to get 40% off a of lifestyle modification. We don't, we don't have that ability because we're forced to have to look at the community as a whole. So I just, I do love that. Like, no, it's we're, weight loss. Yes. All right. That happens. Great. But like, it's not about that. So I, I definitely like just the, the, the repositioning of a mindset uh, that you have going on. That's really again educating me, even as we speak. And I, I'm, I would love for you to give like a blank, um, survey and have physicians fill out what percentage they think 
uh, surgery, uh, pharmacology, uh, lifestyle, like weight loss. Like I'm pretty sure their numbers would be like, out of like, sir, like you think lifestyle modification does what? Like I, I'll be very interested to see something like that from a just a physician survey. I think that'd be pretty comical. Let's do it, Dr. Barry. I'm for it. You the one with the in, in institution connections. Let's go ahead and get that IRB and do this. <laughs> yeah, in fact, you know, we could we could definitely get I mean, we could get medical students. I mean, it, it's easy to get a class of like, hey, yeah. by the way, just shoot the percentages yeah. real quick. There are to... some. I'll I'll pull the data for it right now. Um, mom brain just came <laughs> from golf practice. <laughs> hey. But I'll pull the data. There are some studies um about that as well. But I it is the numbers are low, right? I think we tend to overestimate. I, that's why I like showing this pyramid because we tend to overestimate the power of lifestyle modifications, mm-hmm. though many of us have not even been able to do it. We also, again, have to recognize, which another thing I can pull up, I talk about it in the book, is that um, the weight cycle, right? Like anytime you lose weight and regain it, your body becomes more resistant to losing it the next time. So those lifestyle interpretations interventions, and I'm sure many of us can attest to this, what used to work doesn't work the way that it used to because it's becoming more resistant. And I think that's important to understand too when we talk about prescribing medications because that um, also argues for why someone who has tried and quote unquote failed because we bring out the F mm. word, right? Ooh. They failed Uh-oh. at their Uh-oh. lifestyle therapy. That's <laughs> even more the intervention of why we need to support them with pharmacology or with um, bariatric procedures because their body is less likely to want to release that weight this next time around. Oh, amazing. amazing. And, and I think people, I need people to hear that. Well, we will definitely clip that uh, for a highlight because it's it's because again it's and it's one of those kind of discouraging thoughts. They said, "Man, I lost this weight before. How come I can't lose it again?" Like I'm and like so now they like, oh, okay, that's why my my body's kind of smart. Like it understands. Like hold yes, on, now. it's trying to protect you. <laughs> it's trying to protect you. Your body's still chilling up in the Amazon, some in like BC eight hundreds <laughs> sometime. That's where your body's chilling, and it's like, oh my gosh, there are no Krispy Kremes. There's no Seven Elevens. There's no refrigerators. No pantry. So let me hold on to this because if we like start to starve and we lose weight, then we need to like we need, especially coming out of the pandemic. And I think we did a talk early in the pandemic mm-hmm. about your pandemic pounds are trying to tell you something, and we talked a bit about like how the body was in self preservation mode. And yes a lot of us brought those shelf ready foods, those high refined sugar foods and all those things. And we ate them as we were stuffed in the house in hibernate. But also part of it is actually, and I would love to see, like we got to take our time machine and go 50 years from now, how it impacts us. But I think Mm -hmm. a lot of it was actually the body trying to protect itself. It's like the uncertainty of that time. And let's slow our metabolism and make sure that we hold on to some of this adipose tissue, some of this fat in case things go to, you know, go south. Yeah. yeah. I mean, body, the body has no clue why all of a sudden you slow down for a year. <laughs> body said, hold on now. It might be a drought outside. It, you know, it might be a food <laughs> desert. Like we don't know what's going on. Let me, let me protect <laughs> Let me protect ourselves and get ready. (laughs) 
So, yes. Well, you know, this is like my soapbox and I could talk about this for hours, but I do want to, we were talking about medications today, but I wanted to really, and I'm happy to avail myself to us doing a part two and we can do, go into it more, but I do want us to talk about the medicines because, but I think it's important for us as clinicians to understand like why we aren't using it. And if you're in that minority that is, Kudos to you and hats off. But but I know because I'm in these social media streets, I see it from the patient perspective. I see it also from the clinician perspective. And I see the biases, you know, one of the conversations like, oh, when I start the medicine, I don't I'm afraid they're going to get hooked on it. <laughs> like, and they're not going to get off. So just to remind you that we are treating these underlying medical conditions, we are addressing the physiological opposition to weight loss that occurs. And so that we can give them a fair chance for the lifestyle change to make. And don't get me wrong. If we just give these tools without lifestyle changes, and I see it all the time, again, I told you a lot of my work that I do is in mindset and um, emotional mm -hmm. healing and in integrative um, practices and addressing those other triggers outside of just the biological. So I see it all the time. People have a very effective bariatric surgery where they're able to lose significant amount of weight, but they start to experience that weight regain within the three to five year mark because of the fact that one, the physiological factors that oppose weight gain were not adequately addressed by supporting them with our medications like mm. the GLP-1 agonists and all of those things that we can talk about, Dr. Barry, ready whenever you are. Sure. I, then, you know, you know what we could do without, I would list, I mean, we could probably do maybe like a just general, just so people know that yes, there's drugs out there. And then we'll bring you back and then because they say like, all right, this one does well for this and this one does well. That way you don't have to necessarily get into the nitty gritty. But like, I think I don't know if you realize it, but you dropped such a significant bar when you said that we have to get over the physiological aspects of it. Right. Because, again, mm -hmm. a lot of people, again, go back to mindset, think, all right, the weight loss or the lack of weight loss is all mental. Like, no, I'm just not mm -hmm. thinking hard enough. Like, I don't I don't want it. You know, we're here. I don't want it bad enough. But like when we understand, like, nah, there's like chemical reasons, right? Why you can't lose the weight. Just like my cigarette smoker, right? Mm -hmm. Can't just stop smoking cigarette. Like, yes. again, if you're, again, I know once in the community, I know y'all got an outlier friend who's able to quit. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And we always want to focus on that outlier, right? We always want to focus. And that's great because they're inspirational. They're aspirational. Yes. Again, as a feeling emotionally intelligent person i'm all for it i love a great comeback story inspirational story but let's be real and let's equip the masses with what they need to succeed especially because we hold the key as mm -hmm. clinicians and i think if we as clinicians could understand the power of these medications in addressing the underlying physiology. And I pulled up that, you know, New England journal that I told you that I really like. Um, I pulled it up so you could see it. But if we could understand it, then we would be even greater advocates for our patients getting the care that they need. I think in this day and age, like if they were to not cover our diabetes medications, which yes, we see because a lot of these medications start out as diabetic medications, diabetes medications because of the um, common pathways and physiology. Mm -hmm. But 
But if we were to see that or hypertension or asthma, the example I gave, we would be in the streets. Like, <laughs> but yet there's not enough of an outcry. And especially in our black and brown communities, honestly. And I think part of it is, if I'm going to go there, just uh, bring open up a Pandora's box. Oh, wait, wait. You know, we, you know we go there. We go there once a week. <laughs> yeah, but the intersection of weight bias with racial bias, with mm-hmm. gender bias, with um, also even sexuality bias. And, you know, oh, yes. it's a quadruple hitter. And so when you have other groups... And again, I'm in these streets and I read this stuff. I read, I love, one of my favorite books is by Dr. Sabrina Strings, a um, sociologist who very eloquently talks about the history um, between weight bias and racial bias. It's called Fear in the Black Body. And, you know, and and I think that's a good book to read. I do not agree with her medical conclusions because as someone who saw their grandma die because of complications of obesity, who still sees people affected by who lived through it, I'm like, there's no way, I think we'll do ourselves an additional disservice as Black people to say that, oh, obesity isn't a disease because of racism. No, racism Mm -hmm exists, it has to be addressed and uprooted out of it, but there's still this underlying physiology and we're not being adequately treated for it. So hmm. we have to talk about it. I agree. I agree. I mean, that's, I mean, that's such an, uh, just amazing thought just because it, it just hits home so many points. And then even when you look at this graph, especially um, legendary community uh, podcast listeners, um, it's a graph that if you could just kind of see just how many hormones or just a different pathway of hormones that are related into whether you keep fat or not, mm-hmm. like there's, again, there's not much mental exercise that you can do, right? When when some of these pathways are uh, not in equilibrium. Let's even take it even deeper. These pathways, notice that they're they're affecting the brain, right? So leptin, adiponectin. So leptin, leave it on the plate. That's your satisfaction hormone. Adiponectin, that's your fat um, hormone. So these are being, like when this happens, your willpower, quote unquote, is being decreased Mm. by the interactions with these hormones to drive you to want to eat more. So that's why you're like, I, you know, went on this diet and now all I can do is think about food. <laughs> now mm-hmm. I want, I lost 20 pounds and now I just want more food. So the awareness of this is like, I'm a music lover. Miles Davis says, you need to know the rules so that you can play the game, right? Mm-hmm. You need to know the rules so they can break them. So like, we have to understand that these things are also being affected. Grenaline levels, which is grr, grenaline, think hunger coming from the stomach. Those levels are going to go super high um, when you lose weight to make you want to eat more. And then we're not even talking about thyroid. We're not talking about cortisol right. in this, this graph that I'm showing. So all of that has an interplay. And it's not to say it cannot be done, y'all. I don't want anyone to lose hope. Don't lose hope. But it's just to say that it's a little bit more complicated than just telling somebody, go out there 
eat less, move more. And if it's not half working, you fail, you didn't do a good job. We need to equip them with tools to help address this physiology as well. And then yes, do the behavioral. I do do a lot of CBT in my practice, reframing, you know, colloquially we'll call it mindset shifts. But a lot of that does help because we've developed these patterns addressing underlying trauma um, that definitely there's a huge intersection. Another book I, I really like, look, now I'm pulling out my books, but the, the body keeps a score. You know, this actually an MD, the ACE or the um, Adverse Childhood Events um, quiz, this was developed in a weight loss clinic because Dr. Poletti, mm. what he found in Dr. Anda, what they found in their weight loss clinic is that people with severe obesity were more likely to regain the weight or fail treatment if they had significant trauma, traumatic events in childhood wow. in their life. And so that's something I screen everybody for because that does have to be addressed because even if I give them a GLP-1 or now a GLP-1 and a um, GDP, like it's go not going to be GDNP. It's not going to be as effective if I don't add this underlying addressing the trauma. And so that's why I say it's a lot more complicated, but not to lose hope as clinicians, but just to recognize that, okay, I need more support and how can we integrate that support into my um, treatment plan? No, I think it's perfect. And I, again, I think, I think you're doing exactly what is needed because, because such a significant amount of the population really just uh, feels defeated. And, yeah. and now they hear someone say, wow, you know what? Like, okay. Like it may not have been all me. Yeah. Like, it, like maybe I wasn't 100% of the reason why I, I could not lose this weight. So I, I think, and that's, and that's why I love every time is just watching you and just watching the stuff that you do and, uh, you know, just how more importantly, the the passion behind it. Right. You know, especially we talked about this, especially in, in our field. There's a there's a lot of lot of doctors out here who don't necessarily have the passion behind what they're doing. And it becomes very evident when you see someone who has that passion. You're like, oh, this person's standing out like it's like a sore thumb versus everyone else who's like just kind of just kind of going through the motion. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah. And I, and again, so I guess you tell me, Dr. Barry, how much time we have, where we're going and, and, and I, because I could keep going, like, you know, I have a whole course. I have, a whole you know, let's, so, let's do this. Let's do this. Cause I think, cause I think for, I think for that, I think that's so much for them, especially just from a, cause like, obviously, you know, to, to do what you need to do, you got to get the mindset shift ready and then mm -hmm. Follow with the education. Let's 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 stop there. We'll get a part two in that, and then we can go and deep dive with the medication and everything else. But I think you've knocked down so many myths just from our conversation today that that's going to get people going, right? And if this makes someone say, you know what, okay, all right, I knew I wasn't tripping. Let me go to my doctor, right, and say, hey, you know what, I've been failing. I realized that you know what, I need some help because some people probably didn't realize they needed to go to the doctor for help. And, and now I think just this shift alone is enough to say, all right, yeah, let me let me at least take the next step, because now like me failing just isn't the end all be all product. Like I'm starting the race a half a half a lead, half a mm -hmm. you know, half a mile behind and I need to try to get up to the starting line. 
Yes. So let's let's do that. We'll do a part two. Let's do a part two. You know, we love we, we love when you, you come here anyway. So it matters. <laughs> right. Let's do a part two and then we'll focus specifically on you know medication here, medication there. We may even tease to see if you got one favorite versus the other. Let's I, I like I like okay. that. I like that. So for for those who, especially until we get to part two, where can people find you? Where can people follow you? What is Dr. Sylvia working on? Because clearly she's amazing. So what is she working on? <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So, yeah, so people can um, follow me. I You can connect with me via my website. So EmbraceYouWeightLoss.com. And the U is Y-O-U. So EmbraceYouWeightLoss.com. There I have a clarity quiz because it's just a little quick five five question quiz to really help you clarify where do you need the most help on this journey? What's keeping you from being consistent in those changes that you want to make, those lifestyle changes that you're trying to make? You've started, you stopped, you, why can't you get this weight off and keep it off and live well, live. And I really like saying live lighter in your body, mm-hmm. mind, spirit, because when you lose weight, it's not just physical. It also has to be mental and um, even spiritual as well. So I help you do all that. So take the, go to embraceyouweightloss.com and take the clarity quiz. Um, You could, and that will connect you with me directly. You'll hear about the newest things I have coming out. Um, You know, I'm gonna tell Lunch and Learn community, I'm not sure when you're gonna put this out, but launching on October 1st, and I'm declaring- Oh, we'll we'll, we'll have that, we'll have that out. not, not, Not an issue. We we bumping stuff. We bumping stuff out of the way. Well, this is going to be the first announcement. I'm actually launching a brand new online course, and it's not brand new because for two years during the pandemic, I helped almost 40 people not just lose weight, but also keep it off and to have those keys to consistency so they can keep it off. So I learned a lot. I learned a lot from my own eight year journey of living this life, like total lifestyle integrative change, but also about helping different people too, because right, we everybody shares that one success story, but I, everyone's a little bit different. So what I did is I have put it together in an online course and we'll have, and, and I know we're busy, we're super busy. So it's called nine, Embrace You 90 Day Breakthrough Journey. And you'll get like little nuggets each day. Something that you can do to give you just 10 minutes for yourself every day to help you develop your personal keys to consistency and be really clear on what's keeping you from losing weight. And then once a week, we'll join together and do these live classes, coaching together um, with me. And so I'm really excited that's going to be launching on October the 1st. Um, so it's day, so definitely connect with me so you can be amongst the first to sign up for that. I'm going to have this special introductory rate. So I'm super excited about it. Oh, we're, we're excited. And again, it's, it's so funny because we've, we've had, I, this is, I think we had a conversation pre-pandemic where, you know, I was like, oh, you know, I think, I think you could do this, you could do this. And so just, again, Lunch and Learn community, when I tell you, like, I people watch all the time. Y'all know how I do it. I people watch all the time. I friend watch even deeper, right? So when I see my friends just doing big things, I just sit back. I'm like, oh, man, look at that. That's just, I'm just so glad that I can call her friend. Like, I'm just so glad that I, like, this is me. So Dr. please, Bay, please, uh, you know, Lunch and Learn community, take advantage. Obviously, we'll make sure all of the links are in the description. Um, show notes, email, like we're going to make sure, uh, you know, the lunch community is aware as well, too, because I think it's such a such an important topic that unfortunately is not going away 
Um, mm-hmm. You know, this uh, you you're, you're going to be working with a population that uh, is growing, right? Obviously, your goal is to make it zero, but like right now, it's growing. Uh, so you know, we just appreciate especially all after the pandemic, and especially after please, pandemic. if they don't, if you like, if you can't, like, I can't wait to the course. I want to see this. Grab the book. It's on Kindle. Um, there's a hard copy. Working on the audio book coming out before the end of this year. But go ahead and grab the book because it really consolidates a lot of the things I talked about and will be a great resource for yourself and your clients as well, or patients as well. Indeed, amazing. And thank you for everything. I can't wait for part two. Remember, uh, part we always two. end up with a part two. We, we always do. We do too. Be excited because again, we have so much to talk about, and it's you're such an amazing person to talk to that I just be like. I didn't overwhelm y'all though. I'm like, you know, I am so passionate. I got a lot of information and I, but I, the clear, the number one thing I really want them to like everyone lunch and learn community for us to leave with is obesity is not a lifestyle choice. It is mm. a complex metabolic disease. And then as clinicians, we have access to the greatest tool, one of the greatest tools to help people effectively treat obesity and cure it. Cure? Nah. But you know, but definitely, I'm being a little bit, yes. ideal, but definitely we have the most effective tool to help people succeed and win. So help your patients. Help. Mm-hmm. We all started this to help. Don't let our biases get in the way. Ah, love it. Thank you, Dr. Sylvia. Thank you for getting to the end of the episode. I am yours truly, Dr. Barry Pierre, favorite board certified internist. Like always, remember to subscribe to the podcast, leave us a five-star review, and more importantly, share this to at least two of the five of your friends and family members that you know that could be empowered with the words that you heard today. Again, so appreciative of all you guys' support. See you guys next week.